0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, There are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now, there's one in Buckhead, there's one in Chambly, there's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh they're like family. So um go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American chicken tender, just to brag on them a little bit more. They were Verizon Super Bowl Live, top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta Award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner, just they won all the awards because Ponko is great and Ponko is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out ChaseMonsPodcast It's where all of my episodes, to all of my podcasts, are. All of my writing that I do. Um more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, It helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, You can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play. Everywhere where you can get your podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today um all right i think that's everything we can get into today's episode uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um (laughs) my nephew needs me to record see i
1: hate i already hate it i hate it
0: all right welcome back to a tuesday evening edition of the chase thomas podcast my old boss years and years ago Carlos Medina of 680 the fan is here Carlos
1: good evening, sir. How are you doing? Don't call me boss I was a I was a mentor friend. I was always there to kind of try and point you in a certain direction and then it's always up to whoever it is to run with things and you absolutely have so uh, its it's really a pleasure to be with you today chase. well um it's it's a it's just it's
0: weird times and just thinking about where because um, I was listening to you guys this afternoon on six eighty and um, right. radio. Is a little bit different from podcasting because like I can take more time to think about what could I talk about, like some of the stuff I want to talk to you about, like spending hours just like crafting stuff, things that I'm reading and just thinking about like is there enough there to do a podcast? Is there enough there to do that? You guys are still doing the radio show Monday through Friday. So it's just like you don't have that thing that podcasters have where we can be a little bit more um, careful about how what kind of stuff we're gonna put out when we're gonna put it out? You guys are like, nope, we have to find content and we have to do it every day. And we have to figure it out. Um, how have you guys handled the Just the content and getting stuff out over the last month.
1: It's been a challenge, but I'll tell you this, and it's not like I'm saying I'm the I'm the prophesized leader of Atlanta Radio. Um, but but it's something that I started cultivating years and years ago was guys, we have to be more than sports. You know, sports is going to be a conduit to bring people in, to listen to what we have to say, uh, to, to talk and, and go down a lot of different roads over the course of a season. But we have to be more, you, you have to find ways for people to gravitate towards you and to make a connection. And so we've been able to explore a lot of these different things. Um, you know, uh, granted, I'm going to talk a whole lot of NFL draft over the next couple of weeks. And we've been doing that for weeks leading up to the show. But we also get to have those discussions about homeschooling our kids. You know, there, there's plenty of people that are stuck in their homes right now that know the frustration that our families are going through dealing with this. And so, you know, I might be able to talk about, you know, hey, yeah, we took the trip to Notre Dame and watched Georgia. Well, not everybody who listened got a chance to do that, but everybody who's listening has a chance to maybe have a kid that's at home and making them crazy. And so it, it's a different level of what you're doing. You're, you're kind of doing that balancing act of looking forward with positivity. At the same time, let's talk about some of the struggles that we're dealing with. And a lot of them, uh, in some case, they're uh, their first world. In some case, they're third world problems.
0: Have you found that most listeners are uh, not thankful, but just are surprised at just the how well they're adjusting? Or do you think it's the opposite where people are really starting to lose and you're like, we can't have this going on deep into the summer with kids and everything else?
1: And I think a lot of us are are using things that are normal to cope with what's going on. Uh, I, I get people that reach out all the time, you know, Twitter, email that will call in and just say, hey, I'm glad that you guys are doing what you're doing because it takes my mind off of stuff. And and this is the great responsibility I think that that I have in programming the fan from noon until seven o'clock. It's about where's, is, can I give you a seven hour escape? And if that means you were with me for an hour or 20 minutes or five minutes, can we take you down a road where you suddenly forget about, uh, hey, I got furloughed, I lost a gig, I got a mortgage coming, um, my business is not doing well, I don't know when we're going to get started again. Those are the th- things that we're trying to take you away from, and so uh, it's also a little bit therapeutic for us because seeing the guys, uh, even, you know, through Skype or through Zoom on a daily basis is still kind of regular for us. I've been doing a show with Matt and Chuck for the better part of a decade. I've known them, and we've done shows since two thousand and four. So there's something that's very comforting for me to get in a room and be able to hear their voice and talk. And we do a show together.
0: How hard was that getting ready to just do the zoom? Cause it like, it all happened so quickly Were y'all prepared for something like this down the road to be able to do this remotely with all of you in different locations and um, to do the radio show. Cause like the podcast, obviously doing that from different spaces like we're doing right now is easy, but for a radio perspective, I imagine it's a lot more complicated. Were y'all ready or has it been an adjustment?
1: We were, and I got to give credit to our our engineer on staff. Mike is, is outstanding over with the fan and it was Mike, uh, another guy with SportsX, Brandon, Joseph, and myself. We're kind of the, we are the nerdy group when it comes to technology at the station. You know, we're, we're the ones that look to have the YouTube channel and the Twitch channel, and this is what we're going to dive into. And this is uh, the sort of stuff we want to be able to do. If we have to broadcast from a different uh, area for us, we started kind of putting our heads together early on when it looked like there might be a, a possible quarantine. And once, the schools were shutting down. That was the moment where, all right, batten down the hatches. This is coming. We've got to be ready for it. And so we'd spent the better part of the week uh, getting the equipment to guys and planning how people were going to connect and how we were going to rotate because we only have so many access points. So you can only have so many people working uh, away from away from the office at one time. And so we managed to kind of balance it all out and make it all work. And so I, I think as as a credit to a lot of the people at the station – we haven't had that moment where you listen to the broadcast and went, man, that sounds like dog crap. Uh, we've been fortunate that, yeah, it does sound a little different, but we've been able to kind of fight through it. And the use of, of uh, you know video technology, video conferencing has kind of helped us know when uh, it's time for me to talk and it's time for me to shut up. What has been the biggest adjustment uh, professionally and personally for you since this has all happened? dealing with uh with screaming kids in the background and, and the funny part is jace uh, like my wife every now and then um especially for the first week or so she uh she is basically a, a vp level with a company where they plan trade shows and obviously trade shows are out though you know they've been doing them in europe um her last one was in germany probably about seven weeks ago and they realized pretty quickly even before we did over here this thing has to shut down so she's been dealing with this for the better part of a, of a month and a half maybe a little bit longer um Having to do things with your kids around uh, the first week, it was weird. You don't say anything, keep quiet. Now, if your dog barks while you're doing a show or talking to somebody on a podcast, or your kid comes screaming by the the camera and you know tells you to to wipe their butt, that everybody's just like, okay, cool. That's that's it's what endearing. it is. For, yeah, it's temporary, but it's it's that thing where you just everyone just now goes, you know what? I'm gonna give you more leeway um, Hey, you forgot to mute your microphone. Hey, you got up, uh, in, in front of the camera and we all saw that you're still in your pajamas. Everyone just says, okay, fine. More leeway for everybody. And that's, that's been the challenge is, is trying to work at your same level while also having these deterrents to that same level.
0: Yeah. Um, something I've been thinking about a lot too has just been whether or not, cause this is like, it's really easy to go super cynical during this time. Or it's really easy to fight through it and go super positive where you're just like, nope, blocking it all out. I'm going to be positive or the other way. Like I said, I, I find it interesting because so much of it, if you just get off your phone, like when I deleted Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything from my phone and just it, it, it's just better. Like your life is better. You're not looking at things. You're not looking at just the darkness from your Twitter timeline all day long. And just going through that and just going out in the world, like doing my runs before I got sick and everything. And just seeing um, just all the different people who are looking to connect still. Like for me, what I've seen is just actually restored more of my faith in humanity that I think people are doing a really good job. All things considered. Um, there's some caveats, like there was this dude who I literally saw go into the skate park with the, like break into the skate park as I'm running by with the <laughs> skate and just skating and there's like, fine. He's like, I don't, I don't care. And I kind of respected it where he was just like, nope, I'll take the my chances. Okay, whatever, man. But for the most part, people will wave. They'll say hi. They, they don't know what to do, especially the older people. And you are weird about it too, because you're like, I don't want to get them sick and all that. It does seem like to me that the majority of Americans have done the right thing here and are really doing their best. Is that your perspective from what you've seen? Or are you a little bit like, oh man, we were, we're not built for this and this is going to get bad if we can't get this under control in the next month or two.
1: I I have said this for quite a while, probably about the better part of three weeks I go, There is going to be a breaking point. I I think that we've spent the better part of a month where we have all tried to give each other space, uh, understanding, and at least try to calm each other's fears. For instance, um, for better part of two weeks, I wouldn't wear a mask. I'm just like, you know what? I'm getting in and out of here. I don't want to bother with this. Um, and also at the time we were having issues around the country having enough masks. So if it came down to me having one or a medical professional who's working in a hospital and dealing with us every day, I didn't want to be the person walking around with it. Then it got to the point where Now everybody has a mask, and so now you don't want to be the a hole who is the one person saying, "Yeah." And so I think it it kind of changed some of the norms, but there is going to come a time where people are going to say, "All right, enough. Um, we got to fight back at this." And fighting plan, people will keep
0: going if they can see the end of the tunnel. But if it's just (laughs) we have to wait and see and flatten the curve, like you have to move past that because like New York's flattening their curve, and they I think people just need a plan. I think they they can live with this a little bit longer but they just need to know
1: where we're headed
0: and i don't think that's clear right now
1: i I think they have to have again i agree with you with a plan but also i think you need to understand the real truth of this and that Yes, the idea of what we've been dealing with, and, I, and I'll say this, just with international travel, I believe, I think we, the first confirmed case here was like mid-January, I, some people actually speculated out of California, It's it's been since December, and that's why their cases are a little bit lower, because they've gotten some immunity to it, and, and some antibodies. I believe that we went through this process in order to flatten the curve, and, and to, to not overload our, our healthcare system. At the same time, I firmly believe people are going to be passing away of this throughout the summer. And, and that's just because it's
0: going to be worse in the fall. The second wave they've been saying forever is going to be a lot worse.
1: Well, but consider this, uh, you know, the, the flu kills, yeah. pneumonia kills, heart disease kills, you know, this is the new one we've added to the equation of things that can kill you. And if you believe some of the data out of New York that, you know, obesity obviously is a concern because of the health risks that go along with it, makes you more susceptible. Um, this is going to be one of those things that just because we come out of our homes does not mean that it's entirely over. And I think we have to be comfortable knowing the risk factors and living with what's going to be a challenge until we have uh, the medical information, the testing and everything else and treatments that we feel comfortable that you can deal with this if it happens to you.
0: Yeah. Matthew Iglesias and uh, Ezra Klein on the weeds. One of my favorite podcasts. We're talking about this, um, all the different plans, like the one out of Harvard, there was a couple different ones of like how to restart the economy and how to like get us back. And, um, there's the South Korean idea of just like the, the mass, um, like just, information stuff where everybody just, that's not going to happen here. Like I just don't think half the country will be okay with just giving out that much information about themselves. And I just, I I have my doubts, especially people I know in my personal life that would absolutely not sign on for that. Even if I would, I I have my doubts.
1: I I would say that I, I believe that we are, and I have a, just to pull back the curtain here, I have a master's in global business. And so one of the things that we would do, and this was, you know, a decade, 12 years ago when I was in school we would study Hofstede and Hofstede would have a chart of what certain societies uh, dealt with. Risk aversion is one thing versus mm-hmm. being tolerant of risk. For instance, in the United States, we're cool with risk. It's part of our culture. It's, it's what we go with. Um, there's also in, in terms of authority, the respect for it. The Japanese are very high in terms of respect for elders and authority. We not so much. And so I, I'm right there with you that there's going to come a point where people just say, give me the information. I'm going to do this. This is how it's going to be. And oh, by the way, uh, if you want something in order to allow me to, to move around the country freely, yeah, that's not happening. And so, yeah, it, it's going to be a challenge about what people are going to trade in terms of their liberty in exchange for safety. It's it's always going to be a weird balancing act.
0: I think the biggest thing is not uh, because the vaccine I don't think is coming for a year and a half and we can't be shut down until a vaccine like that's just not realistic and you're going to have to like do stuff before that comes but like it's more of how do we limit the the mortality rate like that's what they were talking about and that was their biggest thing is like if we can treat this better like not that we can solve it with a vaccine but if we can treat it better where it's like if you get it even if you have you are obese or you have some sort of um pre-existing condition that you it's not necessarily a death sentence that like we get that number down um to a more like acceptable level for Americans. Like, what is the percentage of mortalities that Americans would be comfortable being normal again? Like, what is that number? How do we treat it? Like, w- once we learn enough about it, where even if you get it, we don't immediately put you on a ventilator if it's bad. Like, just different ways to treat it and like different ways to to fight it. And I think that was pretty interesting because I think that is the biggest thing. Is like once we know enough to treat it, uh, not maybe not differently, but just um more efficiently and. Um. Yeah. That. That. I just. It's a really good podcast. But I. That's where I'm at with it. It makes
1: a lot of sense. To well. Me. And, and I'm not a medical professional. I. I just follow data. You know, data to me ends up driving me whether it's in sports, whether it's it's in business. You know, anything along those lines, real estate, and and obviously in in terms of the medical field, I just I just follow data. And the one thing I brought up three weeks ago, and oh my god, you should the reaction on Twitter. Rah, 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 rah. The idea of just saying, listen, the South well, that Koreans. Sound like Twitter. No, not at all. The the South Koreans are the only real group until, you know, we're getting there, but they're the only real group that was able to mass test their society to figure out what the denominator is. Mm -hmm. And, and basically when they were starting to test 20,000 people a day over the course of their entirety of their country and over, you know, 200, 300,000 tests, they realized that the number was 0.006%, two thirds of 1%. Now, two thirds of 1% is, is not a huge risk factor, but it's also three times riskier than getting the flu. So when people tell you, you know, Hey, it's just like the flu. Well, no, it's, it's three times deadlier, but it's still less than 1%. That's the South Koreans numbers until we know, and we have enough testing to be able to say, here's what it is. And I think you're still going to have, um, that level. People just want to know the threat. Is it 1%? Is it 3%? Is it two thirds of 1%? Tell me Mm -hmm. what it is. And I think we can then live our lives with the idea that, you still got to be cognizant of what you're, you know, the, old, the older uh, population you're around and your level of health and your, and maybe some of your, your, uh, your issues that you previously had in your life. If it makes you a higher risk, then you've got to take care of yourself a little bit differently than maybe the general population.
0: I agree. Um, on a happier note, the audio fun back. I think you're on chapter 17 at this point.
1: I I want to say, um, 18, 18 tomorrow, but okay. yeah, we, we got through 17. So 17 weeks of this, uh, this idiocy.
0: I enjoy it. I have all the 680 mini pods. Um, no, no offense to Matt, Matt, <laughs> or the pod, or, or Chris Domino, the hardball podcast. It's uh, the audio fun bag is um, a very enjoyable listen. It's very well done. It's, I like the, this, just the way it works. I like the, the flow and just inserting a little bit of audio fun bag moments. I think you should. Just from my perspective, Los, you don't have to take this.
1: Uh, no, no. I'm Listen, I've got my notepad. I'm I'm ready to, to take down some notes here. What do you got? You've been in this world a lot longer than, than Hoyt and I have. I think you need to have a one shining moment as the cold open. You
0: need to add <laughs> that in. I think you have to have something like that in the beginning. Because it's so I, I, quick anyway that a different buck one shining moment for each chapter, I think, is a necessary add.
1: Chase, let me tell you, we have one from last week um, that we were, and this is a pretty high standard for us. We refuse to air it right now, and so really? it's probably going to be about a year away, or maybe we only use it for a podcast. I do have it saved and put away if you want. Email me. I'll email it over to you. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that is kind of a fun idea just to open up the show with a one shiny moment or finish with a one shiny moment or something along those lines, because Buck's one-shining moment in the weirdest way has become this Easter egg where everyone listens to, to Buck and Kincaid wondering when it's going to happen, because every day it does happen.
0: I mean, the, I got into the audio fun bag when y'all were messing with Chuck and Buck's college football show on Saturday mornings. like that. I, some of the hardest I've laughed in the last couple of years of just listening to anything sports related was, I think it was Buck with the, um, what would what he say? He was something like, um,
1: something about biscuits. It's oh, no. So he, yeah. He, he randomly insulted Chuck and yeah. Chuck kind of took a step back. Mm-hmm. And Buck's response was, "I got a biscuit for you." Yeah, <laughs> and and that was like his apology of, "I'm sorry, buddy. I got a biscuit for you." And th- there's so many moments out of that show, and that show was was now looking back at it, that was five years ago when when Buck and Chuck got together to do a college football show, and they've since done it one additional year, and so we have audio from it. But that so many things because of that. That hour of the morning, you're not really firing on all cylinders yet, and you're trying to do a radio show with somebody who's very much like you that can get sidetracked, uh, generated so many really funny moments. So yeah, no, I'd love to work in some more stuff with Buck.
0: Do you think this is a long-term thing? Is this something that y'all want to do? Do you want to do seasons where you just do it for a four-month stretch and then you come back? Or do you think this is a weekly thing for the foreseeable future?
1: I think it's going to be weekly for the foreseeable. Um, we do have sponsors attached now and we, we do have an obligation to them as well. Uh, that's, that's always going to be a factor. I think for Hoyt and I, a lot of it is an opportunity to just try to do something we used to do on the radio regularly. Remember it took a global pandemic for management and ownership to go, okay, give the people back the audio fun bag on the radio. And now we've, we've got one coming up this Friday. um, so that'll be our second one that we've done, but it's basically been gone from the station for 16 or 18 months. So this was kind of our way to say, Hey, remember those fun times? Can we maybe bring this back? And I I would like to think that some of the work that Hoyt and I did over the first 14, 15 weeks allowed us to then bring it back and do it on the air and do it a little differently.
0: From your, what you've, what you've looked at, who you've talked to being around Alex Anthopoulos and the
1: Braves and just that area right now. Do you think we're getting a baseball season? I think we will, and it's because of what would always drive things. No sport is dependent on the gate more than than baseball. Okay. And I think initially it's going to be, all right, we got to hold on to as much TV revenue as possible because we're not going to have our gate. I, I don't think we're going to have fans in the stadium uh, till maybe like July or August being optimistic about it. Uh, Alex Anthopoulos and a lot of the other uh, general managers and other players around baseball. We had Mike Soroka on for the first time a couple of weeks ago. He talked about, I need a, th- I need three weeks to get ready.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So hearing that like timeline the
0: where they need a month, it's about yeah, like three to four weeks.
1: Yeah. Three or four weeks. They feel like they'll be cranked up and ready to go. Um, to hear Rob Manfred and Mike Soroka and all these people talk about, you know, about a three week time period to get ready. If we were to come out of this thing in you know May one and we decided we're open for business, we're going to do this and this, it's still not going to have a baseball season until probably June one, June fifteenth, or July first. And even then, I still think people are going to be kind of hesitant in seeing you know when it's time to be able to get around crowds again. They want more data, they want more testing. Um, so yeah, I I think baseball is going to be driven in large part why they're going to get a season because got to get as much TV money as possible and as much gate as possible. If that means Hey, we, we were averaging 20,000, but you know what? Only 3,000 are showing up and they're all spaced out through the ballpark. That's still money for Major League Baseball they depend on. Which host at 680 loses it first without sports long-term?
0: Who do you think just you see them one day and you're like, man, they haven't had sports in three months and I don't know if they can handle one more night going home and just nothing other than
1: some reruns of Frazier. Who, who I, I think it, a lot of it comes down to the home and and what your situation's there. I think it would probably be Buck Baloo. And here's the reason why. Oh, okay. Buck has three kids. He now has two teenagers and a younger son. We're talking about people that need a lot of attention and they have a lot of drama going on in that house. And and sports is an escape from that. It's, a, it's the yeah. ability for Buck to be able to tell his sweet wife, hey, Kelly, I got to go watch the game. I got to do it for work. When that gets eliminated and Buck it now turns into the honey list doesn't end. I think that's going to break a man, and so that's that's why I think it would be Buck. The other guys, kind of can figure some stuff out. Everybody else kind of has their own individual things. It's it's just you got to kind of find something to get away and that you can take your brain into a different area. For me, I like documentaries. I'm burning through them. Um, you know, I, I'm rewatching movies that I haven't seen since the '80s, and so yeah, it's it's uh, you just got to find something else to 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 kind of fill your time until sports is back.
0: If you could be quarantined with any other family
1: from 680 during this time period, who would it be? Ooh, um, I Hoyt would probably be one of them only because I know what we would do. We would basically take care of our work and then at that point the drinking would start and we'd be like, all right, it's a party every night. Let's do it. Uh, if it was somebody else, I would probably go with probably Nick Cellini. Nick is, Nick is kind of like me. He likes to be very regimented. He just likes to have things in, in, in order. He wants to get his workout in. He wants to be able to watch some sports. He likes wings. It's just those are sort of things where I'd be like, okay, I, I could get along well with Nick uh, in this sort of scenario.
0: Side note, what is your favorite type of wing?
1: Oh, important I'll, I'll tell you what. I am a big fan of any kind of smoked wing, and right okay. now there's a Texas dry rub that I really like using on those. Now, I I haven't had any of this stuff for about four months. I'm okay. I had a... I had a crazy cholesterol level, and so I I started eating vegan. I started eating vegan in, really? like, yeah, so it was, like, January, I don't know, first week in January. So I'm four months in, and the the blood pressure went back to normal. My cholesterol was at 310. It went to, I think, like, 135 now. So, sure, I didn't
0: know how any of that works. I got told my blood pressure on Sunday night, and I was like, is that good? Mom, is that good? I don't know <laughs> what that, that is. Is that good? <laughs>
1: Uh, and I'll tell you, that was something that, that, uh, that happened to me, you know, as I, as I got older. And so if you, uh, if you ever find yourself down the road where you're not handling this stuff, well, it's an option, but it was just right for me. It doesn't mean you know, I still, I made burgers over the weekend. I, I'm I'm not about like, Hey, nobody else eat meat. I'm just like, Hey, for me, I just have to be a little bit more uh, diplomatic about it. Cause it, it used to be every single thing I ate was wings, steak, uh, chicken, whatever. And, and my body basically just said, you got to take a break. I love that you're not mentioning your your
0: monster habit because I think that might have been a a bigger bigger thing there, right?
1: No, no, that's that's how do you think I get my B12 right now? Because oh, I don't God. get it. You get that from animals. I don't I don't get B12 right now, so I got to get it from monster.
0: How many are you checking down uh, at home? Just one a day. Okay, that's but not
1: like this right now, this is a vodka sprite. That's what I'm sipping on right now. Now this this hasn't changed one bit. In fact, I saw the numbers chase fifty five percent nationally in terms of. Of alcohol purchase and consumption in the country and 135 percent in the state of georgia i i mean i live down the street from a um
0: a drive through uh liquor store um in Druid hills and it uh is packed all the time like there is a line like people are willing to wait for like an hour just in blocking the main road over there off briar Cliff, and it's it's wild like it, that does not surprise me at all the amount of Um, Did you see that Rex Chapman? I think he shared that video of this guy on his run in his neighborhood and he was just like videoing all of his different neighbors recycling bins and all of them (laughs) were just filled with all these different wine bottles, beer cans, everything like every single neighbor was just filled to the brim of just all kinds of alcohol. That's not surprising at all.
1: Um, it's it's not and it it's the same thing in our neighborhood every single recycling can has just a ton of cans and a ton of bottles in it and you're just like all right and that's that's what's going on that's uh that's how people are spending their time with some extra time and and it really speaks to when there's no restaurants or bars opened, people are going to these stores grab what they want and they go home just because hey you're supposed to stay at home stay at home
0: um and some people like Dak prescott take it a little too much um the nfl i i want to talk to you you're a draft guy i want to Pick your brain about some stuff with the NFL draft. We're about two weeks out. Um, Something that's come up this week, uh, I'm not sure if you monitored. I know you did a uh, profile on Henderson from uh, Florida. Yep. Jeff Okuda has long been the number one cornerback for everybody out of Ohio State. The lines have always been linked to him, the way he plays, um, more in tune with what Matt Patricia wants. Cause I think they played the most press coverage of anyone in the NFL last year. And he's just someone who should thrive there. Darius Slade, not really that kind of guy. So they moved him. Um, where are you at with Henderson and Okuda? Because it seems like some teams actually have Henderson over Okuda, which
1: um, seems surprising depending on who you ask. Where, where are you at with those two? So I got done with my draft guide after uh, probably about three or four weeks ago. And the nice part about when you do that and you spend the better part of two and a half, three months just staring at guys uh, and, and basically going, okay, I'm going to try and watch five to six games per player and then build what you believe. Jeff Okuda is by far the best cornerback in this draft. And, and and the thing that jumps out to you is that he ain't afraid of tackling. C.J. Henderson is a damn good cover corner. He don't want none in terms of tackling. I mean, it, it's just it's not his business. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And so as long as you're comfortable with – Here's a guy who's a tremendous cover corner who does not like tackling at all or any kind of physical contact. Like He'll hit you at the line of scrimmage, but if I got a 220-pound running back screaming around the corner, Henderson is not going to be of any help to that play. I actually did a YouTube video going through this where it wasn't just like one or two. It was like seven or eight different cuts from different games of, wow, that's really bad tackling. <laughs> Okuda's tight entire package. Uh, Okuda, you're going to get everything with the length, with the speed, with the size, um, I, I, this is a nice part when you, when you put together a draft board and a mock and all that sort of stuff, I feel like I put in the work in order to say, here's what I think in terms of, of overall talent. I have Jeff Okuda as a number two player in this draft. And so going three to Detroit, I think makes total sense. Uh, if Joe Burroughs won, then Chase Young, who was my number one player in this draft is, is number two. Okuda jumps right in line there as the number two player in this draft at number three.
0: In your opinion, which of the big four
1: quarterbacks is most likely to fail? Uh, I, for me, um, and and this is where it's such a boomer bust thing because when you go through the quarterbacks, um, I, I I keep I can't get past the fact of of one thing with Tua Tonga There there is a situation where he's playing against Ole Miss, it's a third and five, they're up I think in the time it's like seventeen to to seven, he's driving the team, and. What ends up happening is the, the initial routes are covered up and so he breaks the t- uh, the pocket and moves to his left and starts getting up the field. This linebacker just rips him down. I mean, we're talking like, you know, contact right to the shoulder, spins him uh in in that that style of tackling that's so uh prevalent now in the the rugby style tackling and both of his ankles go underneath the linebacker. And he pops up and he goes right back to the huddle. And I just thought to myself, you know, you're going to worry every single time he takes a shot because obviously it's now been the hip that's been broken. It's been uh, two high ankle sprains. It required surgery. It's been two times his wrist. Um, his was when he broke his
0: hip, too. That's like one of the other crazy <laughs> things. Like he somehow broke his nose on that play.
1: Yeah. And so that's the thing. Like if you, if you tell me about Jordan love, Jordan love is, is six, four and he's a really interesting athlete and he was not good in 2019 and compared to 2018 and some of it scheme. And, uh, you you can make the argument that he regressed, but I can tell you that he's healthy and I can tell you that, that Justin Herbert is healthy and Joe Burrow is healthy Tua Is the one guy that I just wonder because of his athleticism, can he protect himself out there and not chase the big play? And, and that's, That's the analysis that I worry about. That's the only reason why I would say not because it's talent, not because he isn't a tremendous deep ball thrower. There's just that moment of thinking. I don't know if he can coach himself out of being a great athlete and just be a quarterback in the pocket. I'm actually right there with
0: you because I think Herbert's going to slide. And I think that's to his benefit. Like if the Dolphins take him, I actually think that's really good for him with that coming up because he won't play right away in Miami. That's a situation where they can build with him and he can sit. Cause I think Herbert is like one of those guys, like Jordan Love, where they just need to sit for a while. And depending on where they go, they that might not be an option. But Jordan Love, I think just going from Matt Wells to Blake, uh, to not Blake Anderson, what was it? Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson, um, yeah. Um, I just that that was a big thing and listening to uh, Trent Dilfer talk about it because um, I think he's worked with Jordan Love a lot and I think he's worked with Tua and all those guys and he was talking about how that was a big thing for him and um, I, I don't know I like Jordan Love Jordan Love's interesting I like guys like that where it's just the boomer bus where it seems like wherever he goes um, it's just it, it it's going to play a bigger role than who he actually is going to be I'm still in the train and you can tell me if I'm wrong but I think Jalen Hurts is going to be a starter and I think he's going to be good. I think wherever he goes, he's going to start. Like, I hope he goes to Vegas because I think Gruden is the type of coach who would like just be in love with his leadership style, but he's an easy guy to root for. And I think if I had to bet on like one of the non top four quarterbacks to actually be a starter in this league for a long time, it's Jalen
1: Hurts. Am I, am I wrong? I have just said this about him and I based my eval and part of it were, was against uh, two Georgia games and the game against LSU. And in those games, he doesn't look like even a college quarterback. He looks like a guy who's lost throwing the football. Now, he then moves on and, you know, for the most part at Oklahoma, looked like an Oklahoma quarterback, uh, you know, able to kind of get the ball into some places and make some plays. I I think the the appeal of Jalen Hurts is that if he's your backup quarterback in the league, he's also a dynamic weapon that you can use, uh, in, you know, in, in, in just a number of different ways. You know, similar to what goes on in New Orleans – uh, hey, if I got a dynamic piece back there that can do some extra things for me, it's I'm very difficult to defend, and I think he presents that option. As far as being a straight quarterback, I don't see it on a regular basis. I, I can throw okay. in, we, you and I could sit back and watch that LSU game, and you're going to say, and LSU was not some tremendous defense this year. They were a tremendous offense. They were just you know middle of the road, solid defense, nothing crazy. He looks completely lost against them, and this is before the game got way out of hand. Uh, th- that's the thing I-, I can't do evals off of here is Oklahoma, um, you know, playing somebody in the bottom, you know, Hey, here's them against Kansas. Here's them a- against a- an Iowa state team and Iowa state's not terrible, but at the same time, it ain't LSU. You have to do evals. Uh, with with his, uh, his quality of a player going up against his quality of a player, otherwise, I'm not really getting a whole lot of Andrew Thomas blocking a guy from Central Michigan. It, it's just it's not a good comparison. And when he when he plays against the better football teams, he's not an effective player.
0: We'll have to see. But I would just say
1: <laughs> we'll have to see. By by the way, Justin Herbert uh, and in that mock that I had to put together last uh, last month, mm-hmm. I had him fifth overall to the Dolphins, and I have Jordan Love sixth overall to the Chargers.
0: Which would be so perfect I'm, for I'm, those I'm, two. I think I'm that would with you. be a yeah. perfect landing spot because I think Tyrod's actually really underrated at this point. He's like a top thirty quarterback in this league. I really do believe that, and he's someone who can't win you a title, but I think he's good enough to keep the keep you If Nick Foles can keep getting jobs and keep getting teams to pay him and let him start, then uh, Tyrod Taylor deserves to start for a team too. So I hope he gets a shot he, to at least be a bridge quarterback who wins some games and lets so he
1: like, is yeah. He is that guy every time. I mean, that's the reason why Buffalo went. You know, we can get to a playoff. We can get to nine and seven with him, but I'm not getting beyond nine and seven. He is more than enough to to you know keep the ship afloat.
0: And also, he's a better quarterback than Josh Allen. But that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um,
1: which team with a good quarterback
0: right now that's on the older side should consider? trading up or taking one of the quarterbacks like an eason or from or somebody like that late in the first round who is on your mind where you're like when you're doing the mock you're like you know who really should be interested in we're not talking about that should maybe consider taking a flyer on one of these quarterbacks who is it for you
1: for me like everything screams pittsburgh Pittsburgh emptied out everything when they started making moves. So, you know, there's they're one of those teams that doesn't have a first-round draft pick. Um, when you start to kind of look at the, at the usual suspects, like the Patriots, you have a third-round pick on your roster who is set to start. You also need something else. Green Bay at some point, but then I, I always worry about what happens. Like Green Bay a couple of years ago, hey, they brought in a former second-rounder in a trade and got rid of him uh, within just a couple of months because I just think that there's some weird friction that you deal with with their quarterback. Uh, you know, Washington's another team. I'm not completely sold on what they have. And obviously Alex Smith, I don't think is going to, to play NFL football, nor should he any longer. Uh, Las Vegas with their, their couple of picks that they have in the first round, I actually mocked to, of uh, to them at 12, uh, back when, when we I was first putting this thing together, that's the sort of thing that made some sense to me. Um, as far as moving on from a, a young veteran and Derek Carr, uh, I think those are the teams that would look into it. It's just, it's, it's really a matter of, if you're not, sitting near the top 15, it gets really pricey and really crazy to go up and get that type of player.
0: It's interesting that you bring up the Raiders because I, Derek Carr, man, he's like one of the hardest quarterbacks to evaluate because he seems like the perfect quarterback for a lot of these coaches because like people like Belichick, that's why Belichick is so interested in that James Madison guy, like a 70% completion percentage. We're like, Carr doesn't make mistakes really like he, that's his problem is he's almost he's too Kirk Cousinsy where he doesn't take the stuff downfield but like if you remember that Musgrave offense that he had in the early Jack Del Rio run where he was in the running for AL for the AFC MVP it was just like a different guy he actually threw downfield he went to Mari Cooper and stuff like that and then he changed and kind of went into a shell so it's like does that quarterback still exists because like he's accurate he's not gonna cost you a game but he's also does he have that in him to go out and just steal a game they have a lot of picks and they have a lot of opportunities here and i I like maya kalak and before abrams and jacobs went down we all laughed but those dudes looked like actual dudes on monday night football and i think they're gonna be good um the offensive line was sneaky good last year with tom cable the first good offensive line in forever that uh is just a, a tom cable offensive line that was just wild I am very interested to see what the Raiders do. Do you think they go C.D. Lamb or Judy, or do you think they just go B.P.A. at that point in the first mm-hmm. round? Like, how would you do it if you're the Raiders?
1: Yeah. Okay. So if a quarterback fell to me, I'm absolutely taking him. Or if I have to no move up is, because somebody, some if one of them slips, I'm going that direction. Um. Obviously, I had mocked him to a Tonga by low at twelve. But you're also in a point if the Raiders decide to go down that road. The run on receivers, I think, starts somewhere right around 13, 14, 15. Mm. Uh, they're going to be in position if they want to do C.D. Lamb. And in fact, when when I put this mock together, uh, I had them taking Henry Ruggs at 19. So, so I, to me, they I, I think they come out of this first round with one of the explosive guys. It's just a matter of where are they going to do it at in terms of their picks. This is all about creating a buzz for when they get in that building in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is already in love with them. Now you want to put something out there that people can get fired up. And a lot of times, that's a quarterback. That's a young guy. Hey, you saw him in college. He was a star, and now we got him. I think that's going to be a lot of, a lot of the reasons why they try and make that sort of move.
0: Do you think the Falcons should believe that they're set um, on the offensive line, or should they continue
1: investing resources uh, both through the draft and maybe uh, elsewhere? Um, I,
0: or are you a believer?
1: No, I, I don't mind the idea of, let's say, Ruiz from Michigan. Mm-hmm. If you want to use your second rounder on a player like that, and understand you're getting somebody who is is very good at the zone scheme. He's not going to overpower guys, um, so it kind of fits already what you're doing. Um, but it's a player that you can play, hopefully at guard for a season, and then kick him inside when, when Alex Mack is moving on. I don't have any problems with spending on offensive line uh, in, in the first Same. three rounds. It, it, so much of it, Chase, comes down to this. The developmental time for offensive linemen has changed. Um, You're you no longer able to draft somebody in the fourth or fifth round and go, you know what, we'll, we'll work on them, and, and they'll be a starter in year two. These guys don't hit anymore. The, 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 the rule changes on the amount of work that offensive linemen can get and the type of work they can get has it to where you've got to take better players to get better play early. There's not a whole lot of... I took him in the sixth round, and in uh, the second year, he was ready to start. Nah, it doesn't happen. You've got to get better players with that. And so I believe the Falcons, with their two first-rounders, they're going to improve naturally. But I, I don't have a problem with, if you want to go interior offensive line in the second round, by all means, add to it. Just throw, throw another log on that fire.
0: Your Dallas Cowboys have been busy this offseason. It's, it's, it's been a wild one. Uh, I mean, the Alden Smith stuff, we just already <laughs> forgotten. Like, that's still one of the craziest things ever, just to pop back – like. I I'm, I'm waiting for Randy Gregory to sign like a max contract with the Cowboys this summer. I, like I just anything's possible in Dallas right now. Um, where, in your opinion, do they, do they need to focus uh, in the draft this this year?
1: So there's two prevailing thoughts. The first one is you got to get yourself another corner um, that that's pretty understandable given uh, what what their situation is. They do have a second uh, former second, former third rounder. Uh, Jadobie Awuzie is one of the guys that's been a starter there and, and will continue to start there. Um, but you also have a group of guys and I think it's three of their corners are in the final year of their deal. So getting a corner early first or second round is going to be something that I think is going to be very prevalent thinking in that room. At the same time, there's also the thought of, you know, we're right in the heart of the wide receiver run and you know what? We were already the number one, the number two offense in the league last year. You know, they, 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 they were able to get up and down the field. Why don't we just get somebody else? That, like there's a business thought that you accentuate the things you're really good at and you ignore the things that you're not good at. Uh, ESPN at one point tried to become a phone company. Never should have become a phone company. They should just you know, focus on sports. Uh, th- that's kind of the same thing of, hey, we're pretty good offensively. Let's get better offensively and let's see if that puts the pressure on teams to hang with us. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they went wide receiver or cornerback just because of the strength of this draft where it is. Uh, I think also Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma, is, is, is an outside option depending on uh, the health of their linebackers. I, I think Leighton Van in the neck injury, did kind of give them a little bit of a freak out. And so um, I, I would think those are the three areas that they would be focusing on in the first round. Give me
0: your prospect. First round prospect, maybe second round, third round that you like the most that nobody else likes that you try and push. You're like, no, 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 no. Believe in this one. I, I, I've got this one right that like six months from now, or I guess a year from now, you'll be like, I told you who is. Okay.
1: So I I will give you the, the, the rundown of this. I refer to this always as, as the pet cat. Uh, that's (laughs) just one of those things. And, and, uh, you hear it in scouting circles of guys fall in love with certain players and will step up on the table and yell at everybody and say, this is why we got to draft this guy. Uh, couple of years ago that my pat, my pet cat was was patrick mahomes i i said hey he's the he's the number two corner uh, quarterback in this draft i think this is the kind of player he is the entire profile i wrote about him I, I included basically alluding to brett Favre. i was like this guy is the closest thing to brett Favre that's coming into the nfl to have that hit the way it has um gives you some credibility uh chris godwin um a lot of people you know had him as as a third fourth round guy i had him in my top 50 he ends up you know busting up the league this past year in Tampa. He was one of those guys. Um, the two that I've been debating between, and if I could do co-pet cats, That's Brandon funny. Brandon IU, the wide receiver from Arizona State, mm. and Jalen Rager, the wide receiver uh, from TCU. TCU. Those are two of the guys that I love their ability, once the ball is in their hands, to just find space on the field and just be dynamic. The, the NFL to me is a space game. Can you create it and then can you do something with it? And those are two guys that there is... Zero doubt. When the ball is in their hands, it's suddenly like they caught a punt return, and it's it's full go, and things are crazy, and they're a lot of fun to watch.
0: Which team, for you, do you think is in the best position to just run away with as just
1: the A plus? They are going to nail this draft. Who is Miami? Miami is so they have so many picks and they have so much money. Uh, that team, and give them credit. Five and eleven last year off of a group that early on in the season looked lost. You can go back to the go back to week one. Check out the score of that Baltimore game. Check was, out what they look like. Yeah. Check out the first three weeks. They they were horrible. By the time the season comes to an end, they're the reason why New England and their dynasty is over because they won a game on the final they weekend of the season,
0: home field advantage. Yep.
1: dropped them to the three seed. And then that was, that was the end of that for them. Miami is at, let's see, fifth overall, 18th overall, 26th overall. Those are their three first rounders. Then they have a bunch of second rounders, too, and plenty of money. And so there, there's a lot to work with there. Uh, Brian Flores, I think, was he should have gotten some consideration for coach of the year. You win five games with that group uh, and, and having to shed guys during the season that they don't want to be here, all right, trade him, go get something for him. Oh, he doesn't want to be here? Trade him, go get something for him. It's a hell of a job for them. And I think they're going to come out of this draft feeling really excited about their team moving forward.
0: And just the perfect out of nowhere move that I have to remind myself every week is that uh, Chan Gailey is their offensive coordinator now.
1: <laughs> Good old Chan Gailey.
0: That guy, shout out to him. Keep getting them checks. Like he's the king of keep getting them checks because I swear he's been the offensive coordinator for every NFL team at this point in his career. Um, in retirement, gets a call back in the AFC because I think he was last with the Jets a couple years ago. I want to say.
1: Um, I, I just remember when he was making his name in the league, we're talking mid 90s with Pittsburgh. That's how long he's been around this thing.
0: It's insane. But shout out to him. Um, college football might not come back till February. Do you like that idea of just like canceling everything else and just doing football in the spring?
1: No, uh, I, okay. I think that if we're going to, if we're going to be very honest and this is where guys like Chris Fowler and, and no offense to Chris Fowler, if, you know, if he I ever gets a hold of this
0: as my guy, love Chris. Fowler. Um,
1: no, no, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I think here's the, the, the issue that he's missing and a lot of other people are choosing not to look over because of, I don't know, call it a God complex, call it whatever. If we don't have games, there's about 2 to 3% of the sports media that will be unaffected. Now, it might mean, hey, you've got your 15% pay cut or your 20% pay cut, and, and this is how we have to get through this. Okay, there's 2 to 3% that will take that. The other 97% will be out of a job. Um, there are so many guys that make their living – Uh, on a weekend, week out basis, traveling and doing games. And that's not just about the guys who sit up in the booth and who call the game and who do color analysts and work the sidelines, but we're talking about camera operators, talking about sound technical people. There are so many people that are employed by the sports industry that if we're seriously talking about no games until this point, um, you're talking about just a wave of pain. And so I refuse to think about that because ultimately the schools are going to feel it too. The schools need this money. It, it, it's such a big deal for them to uh, be able to have their TV contracts in place and to make sure that they deliver this sort of stuff. Um, th- that's why I think, you know, it, it's it's all pie in the sky hypothetical for, for guys like Chris Fowler or guys like Kirk Herbstreit to go, you know, well, what if we don't have things until now? There is, for every one of those guys, about a thousand dudes out there who make their living covering games that aren't happening that are going, guys, you don't need to put that out in the world.
0: I will say too, though, like the backlash they get, I, I just, <laughs> my thing is like when I, I want to pull those people aside and be like, okay, do you really think Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit, the voice of college football want them? Do you think they want to be right? Do you think they came to this conclusion and they're just like, you know what? What if college football just didn't happen this year? Wouldn't that be awesome? Neither oh. of them have had that thought. They
1: don't, But want Chase, neither. To be but, but neither one of them are worried about making the mortgage. True. And that's a totally different factor. You know, Joe, who is a camera operator and has two kids in college, has been doing this for 30 years, is suddenly going, am I telling my kids they can't go to school this semester because dad's not getting paid? Uh, do I got to make a decision between keeping my kids in college or paying the mortgage? That's that's the reality for ninety seven, ninety eight percent of sports media. And for some reason, there are people in sports media that choose to think that they're somehow above it or that, you know, talking about it. Uh, in terms of this might not happen, is somehow righteous. It's not. It is, uh, as I've told some other people before, sports is like any other market. If you talk about something bad that's going to happen in the market, money leaves the market. It makes it very hard for any of us to go to Target or Best Buy or Jerry's Ice Cream or whatever and say, hey, invest your money with me this season in advertising because we're going to do college football. Um, If I'm then talking out the other side of my mouth saying, I don't think we're going to have a season, you're costing your company millions that's why i think espn essentially when anybody says this sort of stuff they're getting slapped down pretty quick and and i i think there's for a reason as as the memo that went out letting them know none of y'all are doctors don't go down these roads that's what they were told two weeks ago when herb street did his thing that's fair um
0: i just think it's interesting too to think about like what have you garnered from your just like i guess um what you've talked to with listeners and people in your personal life and things like that. Do you think that they're going to be comfortable packing football stadiums this fall?
1: No, I don't, seem? I don't think any of us will be. And, and there's going to have to be, uh, it's like what we talked about a little bit earlier. There's going to have to be a decision of if I have enough information, is this as risky as I've been told it is? And do I believe it is? And so, If it still remains, Hey, that's a, there's a 3% fatality rate and this is how easy it is to pass to one another. No, I I don't think that any of us are going to take that chance, especially those of us with family or those of us who, who, uh, you know, have the responsibility of caring for older parents or anybody else like that. You know, you need to be responsible. Um, but there are going to be people that just say, I need some normalcy in my life. And if you're telling me it's a 1% chance, I'm going to take my 1% chance. There's always, there's always people that are, that are more than happy to jump out of airplanes Or to, you know, free climb mountains. So it it doesn't surprise me if there's somebody who says, you know what? I can get into uh, Alabama-Auburn for 20 bucks. Now's the year. Let's go. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think college is a little bit different, too. Because I think the other thing is just the kids. Like, I don't think... we, We saw in Florida in spring break and everything where I don't think they're really all that concerned about packing football stadiums this fall in college. But the NFL... The NFL doesn't need it. Like they, they have their TV money. Like they, they're more than okay. Like the pro sports are more than okay playing with no fans. They'll be okay for a year. College doesn't work like that. And you already saw like how many programs would just get axed if college ball didn't happen. Like Andy Staples and guys like that that I really like have all said, "No, it's happening. It's just when is it going to happen?" What does your gut tell you about this fall? Do you think they both start on time, the NFL and college, or do you think some gets pushed back? Like, what is your gut telling you?
1: I, I think a lot of it comes down to how real is what they're the eight week ramp up that we keep hearing for college football now eight weeks I don't think is going to be realistic uh, you're probably going to have these coaches it's hey coach you got five weeks get them ready we're playing um, as it stands now and I have to go with what Vegas is doing and with the college football playoff committee they fully expect a season to start on time now it's like anything else uh, two months ago we were told that this is this is how uh, deadly this is or the, here's where it's going to go we keep getting more information and we keep changing uh, timelines accordingly. So um, I'm I'm hopeful that we'll get a normal NFL training camp the last week in July and games in September and the same thing with college football. Uh, but if we're told ultimately that, no, we can't get things cranked up until August. Well, then, yeah, at that point, we're talking about a league or talking about a, a season that doesn't probably get started until November
0: what is the if there's no season like if the baseball season like goes into um arizona or they do one of the different uh proposed projects and it's not at the battery all year like what does that mean for the battery have y'all talked about that or looked at like what is it what is the season like because i mean if people don't know 680 is at the battery have you thought about that at all just like what that looks like if it's just empty for a full year
1: well, this is where I, I have to tell your audience about what makes the battery so different. So the battery is the first development, sports development in North America where the Braves own the entirety of the place. All twenty-one acres, they own all of it. And so um initially, like all of the apartments that were built up, um, those were essentially controlled by the Braves. They had they had worked with a company to do that, and so the Braves had revenue based off of people having to pay rent year round. Now those got sold and the Braves made their money off of it. Um, but you have so much uh, in in terms of, uh, you know, bars, restaurants, everything else, hotels on the property, all of them pay rent to the Braves. So the Braves are generating revenue no matter what. Now, obviously more people in the battery means more money. And so that's going to be one of the, the challenges. If we're talking about a league that ends up in Arizona and all games are there until, you know, hopefully – um, it, it would be something that we would do for a month or so, depending on, on, on how the projections go and, and, and more information, you're going to have people in the battery going to watch games that aren't there. They're going to be watching games in Arizona and spending money. And from that standpoint. So it, it, I think it all just remains to be seen uh, so much of this is always up in the air because we don't know, even if we're going to have it where the government or the governor says, all right, uh, April 30th, we're cool. May one, let's get it cranked up it might get moved back. It's all speculation at this point. So I, I just know that, that when it comes to the Braves, they benefit from having people in the battery, but they've already got built-in revenue coming in from owning the entirety of the battery, paying them rent.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good to, good to hear. Um, And I just, like you said, it just changes day to day. People just stay <laughs> constantly just get like, whatever happens, happens. But like, just seeing today, like Mark Cuban and all the different owners and stuff getting involved, and they're like they're helping with the plan to get everything started. Make for like everything is just changing on a dime, like every day. Just let the chips fall where they may, and don't stress about it. Like, I, I just you'll be a lot happier. I promise. Just read a book. Twitter. Talk Chase, to your mom. Call I'm your doing mom. This. Everyone who has not called their mom in the last week, call your mom.
1: Call call it mom. See what moms is doing. I I'll, I've done the same thing. I don't follow this stuff on a daily basis anymore because it doesn't change. And until something changes, then, okay, let's adjust to it. But I'm not going to get caught up in the daily, uh, here there, nothing's changed. So let me just go ahead and give you the newest, uh, scare tactic. I'm like, Nope, I'm just uh, going to keep doing my thing and I'll call up mom. And, uh, when you tell me it's time to get back to normal, let's get back to normal.
0: Right there with you, man. Um, so last thing, and then we'll go the best thing that you've read since the quarantine started and the best thing you've watched since the quarantine.
1: Oh, okay. So I don't remember the name of the book, but it's a, it's a children's book because you know, I've, I've got kids Mm -hmm. and it's about basically this one. Um, it's, it's like a potato and it's really ugly. Like it's like a wilted (laughs) ugly potato Okay. and it goes into a beauty contest and all the other really pretty animals are making fun of it, but it ends up winning because it's very funny as it turns out all the judges are ugly wilted potatoes. So that mm. that's my favorite one that I've read as far as that um, a lot of kids books um are around the house right now. Uh, as far as something I've watched, uh, I've been rewatching a lot of things. I rewatched the other day Real Genius. Do you, do you know the movie Real Genius from the 80s with Val Kilmer? I do not. Okay. Well, look into it at some point. So okay. it's uh it's a, it's it a on? fun movie. Uh, HBO go, okay. I think you probably find it there. I, I think it's a couple other different places. So I've been rewatching bad and funny eighties movies. Like I rewatched, uh, big trouble in little China, uh, better off dead, um, Goonies the other day. And so, yeah, like that, that, uh, it still stands up cause it's kids and, okay. and kids. And, and it's like that adventure of, of, Hey, we're trying to go find the gold. So that, that particular, that particularly still works. Um, but yeah, I, I i found myself doing those sort of movies. Um, you know, I, I watched you know Tiger King and all that sort of other stuff, and and burned through a bunch of uh, uh of my old documentaries that I watched. King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's very enjoyable if you're into weird subcultures. But uh, yeah, it's it's it really is. It's about finding things that just kind of turn your brain off for a while and give you a little bit of a laugh.
0: There you go. And that's a good way of wrapping up. That's what people should do. Find a way to just turn your brain off for a little bit. Not the whole day. Be a little bit productive, <laughs> but to just get away from things because it's you're just going to lose your mind if you don't. Um, Carlos, this has been great. I appreciate you giving me the time
1: tonight. Is there anything you would like to plug before you get out of here? Uh, all I would tell you is that 680 The Fan is going to have our live draft coverage. We're going to be doing this off of our YouTube channel. So uh, just go over to 680theFan.com on YouTube. You can check us out. We'll be doing draft night coverage, and it's all geared towards Atlanta Falcons fans.
0: There we go. Go do that. Listen to the audio fun bag. New episode this week. It's great stuff. Listen to uh, Chuck and Chernoff, 680. Do all that great stuff. Carlos, stay safe, sir. And uh, I will talk to you soon.
1: You too, Chase. Take care, man.
0: All right. That'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. if you like today's episode, leave a five star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, it helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com/slash Chase Thomas Writer. Um, for as little as five dollars a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chasethomaspodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, Um, links to everything that you need, um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. um, So go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, So that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys.
1: Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.